namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa uddhāng dhammaṁ saṅghaṁ namasāmi So we've come through the Rains Retreat, and as you're all aware, one of the fundamental features of the Rains Retreat is we go through a lot of uh, talk and dialogue discussions on structure, uh, structure of training, structure of self-discipline, structure of relationships within the community, a sense of, you know, how we relate to each other with respect and where authority is given in terms of who's looking after what and how we handle that and and also our relationships with lay people so we're not consciously or unconsciously you know dominating or manipulating or you know just damaging people's faith Mm. all very important stuff Mm. living structure and you do must always remind you you're probably well aware these you know isn't the book you can get this in the book can help you to think and look more clearly at where the problems can arise and the skills that can be used to allay or head off problems before they arise uh, eventually it becomes a living thing when you're feeling it out um, you know particularly in terms of speech how one's speech is inviting rather than demanding you know, requesting suggesting um, pausing, listening um, you know and seeing what comes out of skillful structuring like that yeah. Right. So structures like, like um, the lines on a page, or the, the scaffolding around something that's uh, that's actually quite precious. And of course, the scaffolding of the structures helps you to support and know there's something there, but what's there is much more alive than that you know you can't have a structure that come that, so you don't want to get too absorbed into it you know you can't have a structure that creates faith you know a structure that can allow faith to arise you know and so you can't have a structure that gets you awakened you can have structures of teachings that help you if you use them skillfully to ward off the obstacles to your realization uh, and help to channel those energies and understandings into skillful forms embodied breathing living forms experience mm. so these are like the structures are like guidelines 
on a page in which you're going to do your calligraphy. And you have to get those you know, settled. Eight precepts, ten precepts, however many precepts it is. And then we recognise that our training is much more refined than that. We're all keeping many more pieces of protocol and observance, hundreds, and you could probably create a thousand, depending on how detailed you want to get it, really. And in fact, you'd still find the reality of human life is still bigger, you know, more subtle, uh, more nuanced than that, you know. And so we kind of, when we have this end of the range retreat, people often admonishment or how to get corrected. And I understand the term, but it's kind of a bit heavy, really. Um, I mean, some things perhaps one is definitely breaking precepts. But often the time is just, perhaps you just need to just step back just a little. You know, you're going a bit out of balance. You know, you're coming forward too much. Or maybe it'd be good if you just came forward a little bit more, you're hanging back too much. That's not a command, it's a suggestion which would be for your well-being. It's this sense of finding balance. And as I say, balance is an extremely difficult thing to define, except you know it when it happens. (laughs) Because you feel stable and no pressure and open. It's a nice term to handle. To, to get a sense when you're in balance. Balance and harmony, these are powerful meanings, and yet, you know, you can't structure them. <laughs> you know, structure gets you so far, then you've got to trust something much more deeply felt, intimately felt, and encouraged. Uh, where, and this, in a way, a lot is to, to, although we have many, many rules about what we should do, shouldn't do, actually, you know, there's a lot of need for encouragement. You know, encouragement to, to just let yourself blossom and maybe make, get it a bit wrong. But how else are you going to grow? You know, maybe get a little bit too loud, a bit too quiet, a bit too forward, a bit too back. Yeah, too busy and not, not active enough. And you, where, where's your balance? And, for, and of course, the beauty of it is, and the mystery of it is, for different people, that balance is going to be slightly different. You know, well, when you're in balance, it's probably, you don't manifest quite the same way as I do. Yeah. Uh, everybody's a different size and shape and weight and carrying a different amount of karma, psychologically differently structured. And yet, when she's in her balance, she's steady, she's open, she's not pushing forward, she's not reeling back, she's not struggling, she's not compressed. Yeah, I know that. And and then what comes from that balance? Vitality, warmth, initiative, you know? Things that really make the life shine, shining, mm. shining the spirit, which is, you can't, it evades all, all structure. Mm.
So though, you know, that uh, what I did wrong, what did you do right? Could remind each other of that. How much, how enjoyable it was to be with you for those three months in, in the humour and the work and the tea and the this and then that and the struggling and the, you know and working together how enjoyable that was uh, you know uh, just the sheer presence and sheer vitality and you know, be with each other in a kind of often informal way and it's not about clinging yeah you know, uh, I want to have this person that person but the beauty particularly of the community is you get the varieties of people and how the different people are coming in and going out, very different characters. And your test is, okay, how do I meet this? How do I meet this so I'm not trying to put him into a box, you know, not projecting onto her, you know, listening, you know, being prepared to meet somebody in their, in their uniqueness. And, and, and you know, feel quite privileged, actually, to notice the gifts, the, the energies, the you know, of other people. It is a peopled life. It's a human life we're living. And as soon as we get idealistic about it, which is totally understandable, then. You know, you get these kind of fantastic images of it sits like a rock, every, every word is completely immaculate, you know, never, never cracks a dull joke, you know, always only the pertinent remark, you know. <laughs> no, no, we're kind of a bit more rougher than that. We're, we're creatures. We're not, we're not plaster images. And it's often, you know, when you get into looking at fault fine admonishment, uh, that, that phrase really means sure it's not a fault finding mission because once you get that sense in mind, then up comes the idea of how a person should be. Uh, uh-huh. And you know, that's already the first mistake because everybody is as aware as they can be at this moment. You're as aware as you can be. If that, that quality is encouraged, it's going to grow. But if I'm saying, well, I don't like the shape of yours, <laughs> yeah, the things that you get interested in, or you know, then it's not going to. You're trying to fit some into some sort of box stereotype of the good nun or the good monk, and then people just get so crippled by those images. Uh, and fault finding with each other. Mm. So where's the mutuality? Where's the joy? Where's the natural, you know, what gets us through the day and through the years and the decades <laughs> if we're not enjoying ourselves, yeah? 
And it's enjoyment. It's not really playing football, but enjoying the purity, the beauty, the vitalities, the sincerities, you know, uh, and even appreciating the struggles with a warm heart of each other. Mm. What's going to get you through through the years of this? Mm. Otherwise, it's like you know, you're trying to iron out everybody into some uniform thing. It's going to die. <laughs> and this is one of those, um, you know, Obstacles that have been coming up with this particular life, which we call monastic, which I've never really liked, the idea of monastic, really, because uh, monastic means being stuck in a monastery. <laughs> monastic. <laughs> and I feel I'm not a summoner, which is a gone forth person, the person of the road, person of the way, <laughs> yeah. a seeker. Someone who endeavours. I'm not in some institutionalised thing. Monasteries are great, very helpful. We can gather together, and most important piece of monasteries are the people in it. And we fortunately we're blessed that somehow out of the qualities of what we're training in, it is providing. Gen- generosity, un- unrequested, not no fundraising, no asking for fees of any kind. You know, it's, it's, it's drawing in powerful support. They, you know, people are encouraged by it. They're not just obedient to it, and and. You know, oh, he's a good person, but actually something lights up with warmth and encouragement and inspiration about through our gathering together and our training and our practice. And that's an immense um, uh, you know, affirmation of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And how we are tuning in to those qualities, those references. And this must be a, you know, a constant question one asks oneself, you know, in a quiet way, you know, am I tuning into awakening, Buddha, cultivation, the field of Dhamma, and human living community. The humanity of the path, humanity of the practice, it's not just abstract ideals. And, and perhaps Sangha is the, one of the most difficult aspects of it, most testing aspects of it. So we look at Buddha, actually Buddha, the Buddha made it clear he was only one. Says as many Buddhas have been before me, Buddhas will come after me. Yeah, so sometimes he's a talk of twenty-eight Buddhas, seven Buddhas. The general theme is this is not like a 
unique personal thing. Yeah. There's a field of Buddhas, you could say, a Buddha field mm, of uh, this particular uh, real, deep realization, mm, awakening. Mm. Dhamma, of course, is another field. It's not just eightfold path, seven enlightenment factors, you know, indriyas, five indriyas, four, this and that and the other. And the vinaya, another web of many, many different factors of uh, training. You know, we look at restraint, we look at modesty, we're aware of appropriate use of resources, renunciation, we're aware of respect, courtesy, uh, deportment, you know, a whole web of qualities that we train in and we attune to. Uh, so if you just focus any single item in that, you get obsessive. <laughs> you know? But ideally, like living in community, you can have a big thing about this person or that person, but actually the greatest training is to hold everybody, be aware of everybody. Mm-hmm. In a kind of, uh-huh, uh-huh. I see how she, you know, Listen to them. Look at that. You know, be aware of how the maintenance man looks after the workshop. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Be aware of how the person who stokes the boiler does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> These are there's endeavour, there's mindfulness, there's practice, there's commitment, there's voluntary effort from the heart coming into that. You know, this is wonderful. You know, the, in a way, we're just playing in a sandbox moving stuff around, digging earth and planting trees and knocking walls down and putting them up again. But you look at the human endeavour to bring forth something, their bit of skill, their contribution of skill, attention, mindfulness, in, in that particular point. And you add up all these fields, all these things, you get the field, the cook, the cooks, you know, people cooking food. An amazing job, really, uh, because you know you just deal with what's in, what's come up, what's happening in the in the larder. Okay, looks like the carrots are going out of date, so let's get the carrots out and have carrots. It'd be great if we had some, but we don't. Okay, we can't have that. You know, just putting together that which has been given. Just preparing it and suddenly, you know, car comes up and through the window comes the pizzas and the, <laughs> the donuts turn up, put their bit in, the cooks, okay, let's get that in, make they feel they feel they're contributing. It's quite a deal handling a kitchen. And you look at that and think, well, I'm very impressed by that. I'm quite inspired by that. I'm glad by that. People aren't just kind of, oh, this is a kitchen, I want it my way, and you know, I want law and order and to control this thing, but just open to the changeability that is the kind of our life, really, and it's that's what gives it vitality. Then every guest who comes in, where their bits they can contribute, and of course, there are angles that you've got to 
Uh-huh. I think I need to be a bit patient with this person. <laughs> good, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Even the rough edges are good because, you know, I want to, I want to be with him. So therefore I've got to learn to step back and find a way to, you know, to meet this person on their terms, their ground. And it's all good stuff. And this is the kind of humble, modest, everyday practice that we're doing. Well, I hope we're doing, or realizing we have to do. Because if you start thinking, okay, we're going to have the meditation, this is going to be this, and that's going to be that, and the work is going to be this time, and everyone's going to do this, you start getting annoyed. <laughs> you know, meditation will be this, and the puja will be that, and everybody will chant this, and then we'll go to that nice and neat, and then the work will be this, everybody will turn up on time, and the tools won't be broken, and everybody will know exactly where they are. No, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be, okay, here we go, open the day, into the woo. <laughs> Things not turning up on time. Somebody forgot to put the tools away. Where's the keys to the tractor? <laughs> and are you going to get angry, or are you just going, uh huh, mm, testing, testing? <laughs> yeah, it's bringing out something good in me. Patience. Yeah, patience, allowance, and then how do I address this topic without? You know, everybody forgets, everybody makes mistakes. Let's just look at this carefully and how do we look at this, you know? So it's not just the kind of, well, who cares anyway, but no. Okay, that, that definitely was a, something that caused a problem. But rather than blaming and getting annoyed, how do we meet it? And this is natural. You know, it's natural. This feature of life. And we meet it, grow together around it, and move on. Mm. Rather than demanding, it's going to be nice, squarely delivered in my box. Which is definitely a trend in, in human society at large, isn't it? Always trying to create another law, another rule, another piece of protocol. Another thing, we've got another piece of paper, another, you know, da da da, you've got to sign, get license certificate by some committee or another who tells you this, that, the other thing. <laughs> and it still doesn't work. Something always leaks out. Something always comes out. Eventually the best thing to do is to get some, not just external structures, but encouragement of each individual to take responsibility, to be careful, Look at cause and effect. Be concerned and attuned to the welfare of others around them. That's the ultimate system. Mindfulness internally, mindfulness externally, conscious and concern internally. Am I, you know, being careless, lazy, overbearing, conscious and concern externally? Am I causing damage to this person? You know, so on. And then the, the, the whole thing starts to come alive because we're constantly encouraged to keep these flexing, these faculties of mind, which we call enlightenment factors, indriyas, 
establishments of mindfulness, you know, the whole, the whole thing, you get these lists of them, right? But now we're actually working them in our daily life. In the times when we're just, okay, we've got to, you know, we've got to dig in this meditation path, Rajan Hinksako, okay, I just know, the abbot should have a decent meditation path. He's the abbot, he should have a decent meditation path. He likes walking meditation. Let's do a decent meditation path. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. Well, there's some earth. <laughs> um, let's sort of better dig it, I guess. How deep? I don't know. We'll just dig it. And yeah, and then, I know, I'll put some liner down so the plants don't grow up through it. And then, and there's a group that's kind of the blind leading the blind. Everybody fumbling around trying to make something work. And then, hey, Something clicks, falls into place, something starts happening. I think that was beautiful. Because none of us knew what we were doing, <laughs> we didn't have a fixed idea of how it should be, so it was never wrong. Because we didn't have a fixed idea of how it should be, therefore it was never wrong. And what we had to rely upon was a cooperative guessing. Let's make a mistake, trying again, until things start to take shape. It's much more fun that way. We're not living an automatic. Yeah. So you, you know, being tested by life, and uh, and encouraging, and feeling appreciating each other, and, and what we bring forth. So this definitely, you know, gives the life some fruit, you know, immediate fruit. One's encouraged. In monastic life, you've got to be really aware of tendency just to get into uniformity. It gets calm, it gets quiet, and then we just sort of sit there, Okay, ding, there goes the bell, and we go, then ding, there goes another bell, and we stop doing that, and then ding, and then it's retreat time, we sit there, walk, sit, walk. Yeah, yeah, I get it, but it's kind of boring, isn't it? If you take it, <laughs> that's you know that that's all there is. But ideally, those structural points are there just to you know restrain the impulsiveness and the the personal will. I want to do this. I want to do that. I don't like this. Why should I have to do that? I want to restrain that. So something else can come through. This really is the kind of essential core quality of what makes Buddhism a religion. People sometimes shy about it because we don't have a belief in God, we don't have this kind of stuff. But 
That's because we come from this kind of Judeo-Christian thing where it's just one God and you've got to believe in him, otherwise he's going to beat you up or chuck you in a fire somewhere. Pretty grim. <laughs> so you know, I don't want to be part of that thing. And so, you know, we're saying, don't trust what you can directly know for yourself. Oh, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, that's true. And what you can directly know for yourself, probably, is you're a bit of a mess. <laughs> you know, there's a bit of a struggle and conflict there. Ooh. And, uh, and you can also let go. You can check, you can stop, you can restrain. Oh yeah. But then also what you can directly know is when you cultivate that, there's something else. That's not about me and my will and my desires and my wishes. Something else. And that's the kind of essential religious realization. You know, in in theistic terms, it's much easier to say there's a greater will than mine, it is the will of God. You know, that kind of thing or the universal will, or whatever it is, the universal soul or something. Of course, Buddhism would go, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, the Buddha talked to use two terms, which you hear, the deathless and Nibbana. And unconditioned, so three terms. And in the terms used the deathless is merging into the deathless, all these, um, the, fo- the five indriya, okay, faith, um, energy, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, which we can individually pick up, merge in the deathless. What's that? Mm. Yeah. Oh, he's saying, one sutta says, he's talking about how things are the roots of all things. All things are rooted in interest, in chanda, desire. And they're born of attention, arise with contact, you know, headed by concentration, dominated by mindfulness, supervised by wisdom, yielding deliverance in their essence merging in the deathless, terminating in Nibbana. What's that? You know, what's this eminently practical, know it for yourself, don't believe anything, you know, but your own wisdom. What what on earth is going on in that? He's talking about direct experience, all right, but at a level which is beyond the willpower beyond the individual will, beyond the personal. You see, so though you say trust, you know, your own experience, we tend to think our experience is very much just this kind of psychological, personal thing, what I feel, what I do. Yeah, that's part of it. But that's the bit that you can kind of release till you get to something bigger than that. Underneath it, you could say, you know, which are these dumber factors which we're sitting on which kind of come into our lives. 
like mindfulness, very obvious one. Um, faith, amazing quality. And faith is the sense there could be something bigger than me. There could be something more than just my condition life. There could be something bigger than my ego structure. There could be something better than just making a living and getting by. There could be. I want to hold that as a possibility. Now, that's not a matter of your will or your decision or your personal education. That's something that arises as you, as your awareness begins to get perspective on your condition experience as an as a individual human, which we tend to believe we are <laughs> in this kind of structure. Human being, body, age, identity, language, you know, that's it. No, there's that. What's the point of that? This is something, you know, that bothered me from my teenagers or even earlier. What is the point of this thing? Look around, there's all these other individuated humans struggling, going off, going to work, having kids, going to school, buying this, buying that, having a weekend off, having a drink, going to the football, and then getting sick and dying. What is all this about? Is this it? And then I kind of think, but why? And people just look at me. What do you mean, why? Yeah. I say, how can you not ask why? I can't get it. I can't get the reason why to have another day of this. It's just going nowhere. And in that sense, there could be something other than this that you could directly experience. That's, that's the lie of faith. Sada. And maybe you see or you hear or you look at I mean, the first thing I saw, I just saw an image of a Buddha. What's that? Just an image. What's that? You know? He's not doing the thing. He's not doing the nine to five mortgage. <laughs> you know, wife and two, point, two and a half kids, dog, garden, semi-detached. He's not doing that. It looks pretty good. What's that? Is this just a fantasy? No, this fellow lived. Really. And not just the Buddha, but there's a whole spiritual thing going on that people have realised. Oh, really? Well, that's worth having a look at. Maybe not, but let's, let's listen to it. Yeah. And then something in you, the Buddha says something that you, you immediately get. Hey, separation from the love is suffering. Not getting what you want is suffering. Association, association with your dislike is suffering. Think, hey, he's been looking at me. <laughs> he comes right out and talks to you. Think, That's a bit close. That's what I've been experiencing for the last 20 years. Oh. Yeah. And then there is an ending to this. Release, liberation. Oh. Right? Faith. So you've got the faith, the energy comes up. That's what I want. That's what I want. Energy starts rising up. You don't know what to do. 
you want something. So you start looking around. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Go here, go here. Travel, read, study, go to this, that, and the other. Energy picks up. You're going to get specific focus for that energy. Meditate. Okay. Got a specific thing to do. Nail it. You know? So you get like that. But then, of course, you know, often the early struggle is because you think you're going to do some meditation so you'll get enlightened which is the only way you can conceive of it, whether you use those terms or not. You're always looking from the personality point of view. <laughs> Until you've know, done enough of that to realise, no, this is always the same story about dissatisfaction. But could there within that structure be a release of craving? And how do you do that? Well, if you just sit in your body and let your breath go out, and let it go out and give up, and let it come in, short, long, rough, smooth, and give up, wanting it to be this, that, or the other, and just staying with that. Maybe some of the pressure and demand of the ego to get and have and be and make and get it exactly right, maybe some of that would start to give up. And you think, yeah, be with it as it is. Smooth, rough, long, short. Be with it as it is. And you're getting that model for breathing, and then begin to develop that model for life. It's cold, be with that. It's porridge, be with that. Yeah. It's working in the rain, be with that. It's a sunny afternoon with nothing to do, be with that. It's the same old thing day after day, be with that. <laughs> yeah. Just be with that, be with that, be with that. Don't doubt it. All these forms of our experience, the bright, the sharp, the dull, the confusing, the mundane, they've all got some sort of message. You say the fundamental message is, listen, be with this. Stop fighting, stop struggling. Be with this. Mm, kind of, not as some kind of torment, because... It's not about having a wonderful time doing the washing up. Well, I find washing up a deeply satisfying experience, personally. <laughs> the only thing I ever managed to achieve doing is getting a dish clean. <laughs> uh, but that's not the point, to be the most perfect dishwasher in the world. But just since not being so absorbed in me all the time is a great relief. And the sense of the, the joy comes in, and then the mind begins to harmonize, collect, give you strength. Not from willpower, not from holding on, but samadhi arising from careful, steady letting go.
to into being with how it is, without struggle and without, you know, grasping it and following it. Mind begins to unify. It's not creating if and should. It's her fault. It's his fault. It shouldn't be this way. What's wrong? Right? Stop doing that. This is how it is. Stop proliferating. Let's, we can be with this. And the beauty that comes when it, our people gradually, as a group, start to tune into that and be together. You think, hey, this is this is powerful. So humble, so globally insignificant on one level, and yet what a model our human beings in a cooperative form can work it out and enjoy it and appreciate each other and feel they're part of something bigger than just little me getting on, doing his thing, getting what she wants, only being with the bits I like. I don't want to do that. No. Uh, okay, so this, you know, then internally, you know, so there's the outward manifestations of it in, in our living community. But internally, now those factors merge in the deathless. It's an interesting phrase, deathless, because it's slightly eerie, isn't it? Slightly, ooh, because we know everything dies. So what's this? Deathless stuff. Everybody died, looks the Buddha died. So where's this deathless thing? Actually, Amrata. Amrata. Amrata was the Sanskrit. And Amrata was a kind of uh, an essence. And in some of the, you know, cosmological um, stories presented in the Vedic tradition, this is something that is a juice that's extracted by the cosmic serpent being twirled around inside the ocean by these divinities. And they extract this amrita, which the gods drink. It's a substance. Well, you, know, you know, it's not, it's a kind of, on that level, it's, it's an essence. Um, so, Clearly, this is not sensory, it's not material. Uh, but there's a kind of, you could say, there's a juice, uh, a richness, a potency, where these beautiful factors, such as faith, energy, mindfulness, they begin to blend like the colors, all the colors in the rainbow blend into white light. Right? Put them all together, you get white light. The blue, the green, the magenta, the yellow, they blend together, you get white light. All without any of them disappearing, they just merge. So all these vibrant potentials that we carry, as they begin to harmonize, they merge into... Okay, you find another word for it. I'm, so I'm saying essence. And I don't want that to be seen as some 
you know, anything material, it's just the phrase to say there's a something that's not a thing, there's a quality that's referred to, it's, and um, it's often associated in the Brahminical tradition with long life, vitality, you know, long life, vitality. And in fact, when you see long life, it's not just physical life, it's spiritual life. May your spirit continue unbroken through birth after birth. Yeah. Now, of course, Buddha took some of these old terms and often looked and tweaked them, saying, "Is the deathless? Is even beyond birth? Yeah, it's it's prior and beyond manifestation. Yet we can touch into that that potency." So you say it's an affirmative statement of liberation. There is a quality of, you know, that you that we can tap into, that is brightening, and and steadying and undifferentiated. It's not personal. And he associates that nibbana, opposite term, something you could say negating, merging the deathless. Nibbana. Bana can be seen as either, um, could be a translation of vana, which means desire. It could be something to do with blowing out, you know, or unbinding. But generally the expression is a not doing, an undoing, or a ceasing, or a, you know, a stopping of something. You know, something hot, or fiery, or binding, or because fire is the adhesive element, something that sticks you. So we're undoing that. And the two, one is a affirmative, and one you could say is a, a negator. And what it's negating are the bonds that, that trap people, uh, the energies get locked into. So it's negating that. As you negate that in tandem, the release from those bonds is not like a blank out or a, a nihilism. It's a release into something that is eminently fruitful, deathless. And you know, the first thing that the Buddha said when he came from his uh, you know, or meaningful thing he said. Thing that really that people lit up to listen, the deathless is found. Yeah, so that was a very he said what he knew people would light up with. Right? He didn't have a lot of time because they didn't want to listen to him. And he said, Look, the death have I ever said this before? They look at him and they say, He's very bright, he's radiant, he's full of confidence or something different about this person. He commands respect. We didn't want to respect him, but as he walks in, we find ourselves putting out bathing water for his feet and making a seat for him. He's got some power here. Yeah. It's commanding respect. And he says, listen, the deathless is found. Have I ever said this to you before? Okay, they listen, right? The doors the deathless open, 
are those who bring forth their faith. So it's very much a movement of affirmation of something that mysterious in ordinary terms. The ending of that dislocation, the separations, yeah, which is a living death that people experience day after day, locked into their little boxed identity, half dead already. You know, the ending of that sense of separation and loss. Something that's not separate, not lost, uh, not broken down by the aging of the body, uh, not destroyed by the, the separation of physical people, not lost through not getting what I want. Still there, some sublime essential presence uh, that you say is the fundament which all these qualities merge into. Mm. So we look at you know qualities like faith or energy and how those qualities balance each other. Faith is balanced with discernment, yeah. Energy is balanced with composure, mindfulness handles the the five. Yeah. These are factors and they begin to settle in. So you're not too much one way or another, not deeply analytical, too much panya you could say. There's still that sense of there's something beyond what I can know. So my faith balances out my wisdom. I don't feel I've got it all sorted out because I've got the lists and the books. I still have the faith. There's something beyond what I can know. My faith, but also the wisdom to say, yeah, you've got to make that work. Just being starry-eyed isn't going to do it. Put some energy in. Get specific. Start to sustain it. And so all these then the, the qualities of this spiritual intelligence blending into something um, very affirmative and potent and rich. Well, this is what we're heirs to. And because of that, or in tandem with that, the release, the nibbana, the unbinding of our personal cage. <laughs> okay? You know? Buddha used metaphors, the unbinding of our personal personality cage, our fetters, our chains, our sense of me, 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 me. Yeah? Which is so powerful because for many people that's all they've got to hold on to in a world, in this world. Where everybody's out to get their own, nobody's going to be part of anybody, you know. It's all competition and comparison. So there's a lot of me there. So actually, how do I get out of How do I break out of that? Well, my practice and also in community, whatever your me is, okay, I'll, I'll try and meet it. Yeah. We don't have to say who's best or who's worst, you know. Let's look at the enlightenment factors that you have, the injuries that you bring up, the skills that you bring. Let's start talking about those and begin to relax who we think we are who I think I am, relax it, 
focus instead on these spiritual qualities that merge in the deathless and allow the unbinding of that fixation on self. And this is really a, a rich, rich process. It's also a slightly playful process because the fact that a lot of the time you've got to wing it. Like, I don't know, how do I do this? You know, because nothing's exactly like it says on the box. It's always, you've got to work it out. So you've got to keep winging it. And winging it out also means you're in an irregular community. Not everybody's the same. It's going to be different with this person or that person. She can bring forth that, yeah, and he can bring forth that. Yeah. And she needs to be you know, patiently met with that, and needs to be encouraged to come forward with that. So it's that sense of we're all this irregularities are what make us smart, not regularity. It's the irregularities that make us wise and skillful, not regularity. <laughs> and yet we use regularity to an extent just to contain the structure as far as structure can go. And then you can start using and encouraging your own personal initiative to feel out where you're coming from and responsible for it and listen to somebody else deeply with respect where they're coming from. And then something beautiful can arise. That's how it is. That's how it's happened. So, enterprise, you know, the Sangha in the West has been just winging it, winging it, winging it from day one, you know. Shouldn't be, Ajahn Smith didn't even want to be in England. He just had to stop over because the airplane wouldn't fly that far. They didn't have enough, big enough fuel tanks in the airplane to get a non-stop plane back from America back to to Thailand. They had to stop in London. They didn't want to stop in London. <laughs> Just because there's not enough gas in the, in the tank. Okay, he stops in London. What am I going to do here? Okay, somebody gives him an address. You know, go to this place. Right? So what's that about? Some great mission? No, it's just, you could say it's accident. <laughs> Lands there. Uh, it's this kind of dumpy little townhouse in London with nobody in it. A guy opens up the door, okay, I'll get somebody to look after you, you know. It starts like that, right? Yeah. And you can see it's happening over and over again. What got Ajahn Samhita, Ajahn Samhita to me, Ajahn Chah, just fluke. Yeah, no, no plan, no schedule, no, just happened through meeting somebody, who met somebody, so on, so on, so on. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and how did I sort of meet you know, Ajahn Viradamo and Ajahn Nanda were in America visiting their parents due to go back to Thailand. Ajahn Charles said, no, change of plan, go to England instead. They, wouldn't, they didn't want to go to England. They want to go back to Thailand. You know, live in a forest. They want to live in some dumpy townhouse in London. Oh, you go and live in London, it'll be good for you. But, but, no, go and do it. <laughs> okay, yeah, what are you going to do now? It's boring, depressed, grey, raining. You've got to go Bindabad every day. 
Arms round in London. You must be, and poor Charles, you're going to go arms round in London every day. But nobody's going to go arms round in London every day. It's point waste of time. Go arms round London every day. Walk across Hampstead Heath. Meet somebody who gives them a forest. <laughs> right? That's how this place began. Yeah. How organised was that? And you just do the forms, you do the Bindabhad, you follow the teacher, you're okay. And it takes you to the point where magic happens, miracles happen, because this is a very potent thing we're in. And when you begin to release the personal will, within the bounds of morality, respect, you release the personal will, you enter into the magic, you know? the potencies that you couldn't have figured. How we got this place? You know, how did this happen? You know, get given a forest, can't live in a forest. Anybody know a house around here? Oh yeah, dump, oh that old dump down the road. I think he wants to sell it. Drive up to the front door. Is this for sale? Yeah, it's, a, it's for sale. Can I come in? No, you can't come in. Take it from me, it's a, der- it's a ruin. Okay, I'll buy it. Shake hands. <laughs> the deal. <laughs> Completely irresponsible, stupid thing to do. <laughs> That's what we got. <laughs> you know? And if you're, if, you're, if you're a theist, you say, oh, the divine will showed the way, you know. Jesus looked after us and he told us the way to go. Well, of course, in Buddhism you can't say that. <laughs> but, you know... You know, let go, have faith, have trust, be patient, bear with the tough stuff, and just keep opening, asking, you know, opening to the, to the mystery. If you do it purely, it will come. It will, it will come to you. It will inspire you. And wonderful things will happen. So... Anyway, so, yeah, that's it for today. (laughs) And uh, thank you. And as I say, I do notice every day little things I very appreciate in all areas. Maintenance man's been mentioned once, I'll give another mention. (laughs) Joshin, Joshin, the formidable lawnmower. (laughs) Cooks. Kitchen officers, health and safety, guest monk, work monk, guest nun, and so forth. Great. Great. Good spending time with you. May you be well. Anyone.